Hello and welcome to Room Escape Divas. Today we have a new guest, the very first one from Up the Game that I that I met, Jasper Villa. Woo! So hello, Jasper. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I accidentally called uh, Jasper Jacob <laughs> when I was trying to remember his name when I was recapping the <laughs> the trip, and that it's a very different sounding name. The only thing is it begins with a J. I think that's the only thing I got right. So well, I guess it's more uh, international. We're really excited so, to have uh... you on, and we're joined once again by Mike and Ruby. So yay! Yay us. Errol is not here because we can't get everybody here at once anymore. Of course not. No. So Errol is at a dance recital with his daughter. He's so thrilled to be there. Just to clarify, <laughs> it's not Errol dancing. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm this, sure he'd prefer that, actually. But, this podcast oh, yeah. will contain 75% less trolling. Yeah, it might be very boring for people. I don't know. Um, I'll try to fill the role. <laughs> no, we have an interesting guest, so it's good. So yeah, um, Jasper was one of the first people I spoke to at Up the Game, and one of the first talks I went to. He did a talk on meaningful choice in escape rooms, and Lisa Spire and I both attended that talk, and we were both like super excited by the subject matter and just fired up afterwards. So of course I went running up to Jasper afterwards. So thank you so much for agreeing to be on. You're very welcome. I'm glad to be here. So um, why don't we start by, well, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? I read that you're a narrative designer for escape rooms and also, um, and you're a director as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's actually pretty complicated. Um, I, um, <laughs> I use a lot of different titles for myself simply because, uh, I don't know, I think the things I do aren't really defined yet. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I am. Uh, I have worked with a lot of narratives uh, in the past. And one project I've worked on is uh, Prison Escape. I think you've played it uh, along with uh, a lot of others back in the Netherlands. Um, it's in Breda now, but I uh, I was there when it was start up in Rotterdam. I did uh, the narrative design for the most part, uh, but also I trained and selected um, and coordinated everything around the 40 plus actors that were involved there. Good um, God! And, yeah, and and right now, while well, I'm working as a manager on uh, an escape room in Utrecht, where I live, it's called the Loophole. It's pretty awesome. Come visit if you're listening from the Netherlands. And yeah, I'm just doing managerial things there, so personnel management as well. But we're also working on uh, sort of revamping our rooms and trying to uh, to innovate more uh, to make our rooms relevant, or at least uh, keep them relevant in the in the future. And yeah, we will we will be talking about some of that innovation. I just I still have to ask though first because we've done events with like ten actors, and that yeah. was Ooh. a headache for. How the heck did you coordinate forty actors? Yeah, yeah. I well, I wonder that myself as well, uh, <laughs> uh, because it wasn't even like it was forty actors that were active during every game, but we had an active pool of over one hundred and twenty actors. Uh, that all have their own needs and all have their own questions. Um, yeah, well, it's it's communication, really. It's just being transparent in the things you ask of them. Um, and on the on the event itself, it's just you have your, you know, your earplug in, and you have nine other voices in the same hive with you, um, which yeah, which which are your eyes and ears in every location. Um, so you know exactly what is going on when, and you just sort of keep the game flow in your head and try to direct actors towards whatever that current game is asking of you. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty big thing, but it's also quite easy once you get used to it. 
uh, because you know there's like certain things that need to happen. So certain th scenes that need to trigger, certain events that need to trigger, uh, and you know what times they need to trigger. And if something goes wrong, or if uh, a group is really fast or really slow, you just sort of adjust on the fly and, and tell your actors what you want from them. So the game flow is maintained and each and every individual player has a great experience. Wow, yeah, that sounds like a logistical nightmare, but <laughs> it, it was it was done well. Well, I, I grew into the, in the into the function. Like in the end of Rotterdam, we had, I think, 180 plus players, so 180 players, but we started off with way less than that. So we started with, I think, 60 or 70 players max. Um, and as the, the production grew and the scale of players grew, so did my experience. So I sort of started off easy and slowly I started to grow into uh, bigger groups and, and bigger groups of players uh, to coordinate, I guess. <laughs> That's really exciting. Sounds like fun. Yeah, you, and you and you did a talk last year at Up the Game uh, on actors in rooms. Yes, I did, and uh, in that talk, I explained uh, what I believe actors can add to your experience. Because, well, I think most creators, when they think of actors, they see them as tools to 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 tell the story. I mean, they're the best expositional tool you can have, basically. If you got a, a plot hole, just make your, your actors explain it and everything will be fine. Um, but yeah, sure. I mean, usually that's done right. I call that like the theatrical uh, sense, the thre theatrical focus where you can use them on. But there's two more in my opinion. And that's, well, the second one I call the contextual focus, which is giving actors a lot of responsibility when it comes to puzzling. Um, and the well, the advantage of that is that they can... Uh, create unique content on the fly. So once you as a player step up to one of our actors and you bring something creative into the mix, the actor can respond to that and just weave that into the existing story and make it feel like it makes sense for you as a player. But also they can sort of change the difficulty on the fly. Uh, and an example I used in my talk was, let's say you have to, well, you can find a lot of drugs, which you know, uh, probably. Uh, oh, yes. But let's say you need to uh, you need to exchange three bags of drugs for a key to something. I, I don't care. Um, and let's say you come up with only two bags of drugs, and it's been like the fifth time you you approach that actor, and you still only manage to scrape two bags of drugs. Well, you don't want that player to feel bad, or or you want to make him spend another hour searching for that third bag of drugs. So an actor can choose. To, okay, well, you know what? Maybe I'll do it for two, but I'll give you an extra assignment, like sing a song for me or deliver a message to somebody else. <laughs> right. So on the fly, you can you can sort of change the difficulty. But the other way around as well. If somebody comes up with like twenty bags of drugs, <laughs> and trust me. Trust me, I've seen this happen. It's ridiculous. Like no, the no, I, I played the game. I, I get it. <laughs> right. So maybe if somebody comes up to you with 20 bags of drugs, it's maybe not that hard of a sell for him to have only three given away. So maybe you'll just up the ante and say, well, you know what? I'll just do it for half of what you got. 10 bags of drugs for the same key. And it might be sort of unbalanced, but it is adjusting the gameplay to each and every individual player and his or her needs, which is great. And the third sort of aspect of actors is the safety, uh, by which I do not only mean physical safety, but also uh, the safety we present to players for them to start immersing. So, uh, for instance, if you have 
uh, a story which players are afraid of that something might happen to them uh, mentally, like if there's some topics that players are uncomfortable with, your actors can sort of feel that on players. And maybe one player would love 10 push-ups, but the other one doesn't. And an actor is able to sort of uh, define between the two and, and adjust the game for them accordingly so they feel the freedom and the safety to actually start immersing in the world that they're given. And, well, that was sort of a long, short summary of my talk last year. One of the things I asked you, like, when I approached you to be on the show was, you know, what do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about the things you've already talked about? And you said, no. Uh, <laughs> you said, you didn't say that. You said, uh, but you, but, you know, both of your talks kind of feed into what you're really interested in, which is innovating the medium of escape, innovating for the medium of escape rooms and, and what that will mean for the future of escape rooms and where the trends are leading. And, that, and, and you can see that reflected in both of your talks in which you think about how you can use actors to your best advantage, how you can make meaningful choice, enhance the experience, that sort of thing. So... <laughs> And you know, and I noticed that as a trend in the, in the Netherlands as well was was that uh, I saw a bit more innovation going on, at least as far as, well, especially I guess as far as narrative uh, was concerned. And so I'm just wondering, um, it's it's a big question, the future of the industry. So, <laughs> oh boy, and it now relies oh on my shoulders, huh? It all goes all right. on your shoulders. <laughs> as far as narrative goes, how can that? change escape rooms and how and do you feel that escape rooms are doing like for instance are that escape rooms worldwide are going to follow this trend or is it very localized those are actually three questions but um i'll try to <laughs> i'll try to answer them um well it's 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 hard to tell um because i think where we have to start is the term escape room itself um because it's, it's still somewhat unclear what that term actually means. Um, but I would like to suggest that we put like the escape room as a chapter or sort of a subgenre on the general, more general real life experiences. Because that's basically what we're trying to achieve. At least that's what I'm trying to achieve. Uh, and escape rooms is, is one single form in that, I think, uh, which happened to have a lot of hype generated around it for the last seven years. So a lot of mainstream attention came on the real life experiences uh, as a whole. Um, and I'm not sure if you've seen the talk of uh, Klaus Rastad as well, uh, who is sort of the self-acclaimed king of the Nordic LARP. But LARP has a lot of elements that we use in real life experiences and escape rooms as well. Uh, but that has been around for like 40 to 50 years, if not more. Uh, and there's a lot of different things, like murder diners. They have been around for ages as well. But the only reason we're now so into it right now is because escape rooms sort of, I don't know, triggered something with people? Um, so, so the future of the escape room, I'm, I'm not sure. I think, you know, there's a lot of different ways to actually innovate on the existing escape room formula. And that goes from, from simple changes to, to radical overhauls of what we think is an escape room. Um, so I've, I've talked about it as well. Like there's a lot of technological innovations going on, which is amazing. People are experimenting with VR, for instance, uh, but also with more intuitive types of puzzling, um, different kinds of connectors, 
friend of mine took me to a sort of a connector industry. Well, there's a ridiculous amount of different connectors that you can use. Um, and when it comes to narrative, I, I think it's sort of a, a, the youngest child of the family. Um, in the sense that we are very focused on the doing of things in our rooms. Uh, instead of actually the stories that we can tell within our rooms. And, well, I guess meaningful choice is one way to reinforce a narrative, but narrative in general, I think, is is something that we should explore more. I think it is possible to make an ex escape room, or at least an experience room, maybe that would be a better word, um, that would focus solely around a narrative or a single meaningful choice or a single moral dilemma which players have to face. And I'm willing to go as radical as to say, throw out every puzzle you know. Just make solely a story-driven experience that doesn't ask you to escape as fast as you can, but just says, no, this experience is going to last 60 minutes or 70 minutes or whatever. Uh, and we're going to tell you a story. It's not about if you get out, but how you get out. And what decisions you make into the story um, and what sort of psychological answers you come up with, with any given mystery or puzzle or riddle or whatever. Oh, no, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, yeah, the, the naming of escape rooms has always been kind of a... <laughs> a talking subject amongst enthusiasts. I know that some call it adventure rooms instead of escape rooms. I know that uh, I, I like the term experience or live experience rooms. Yeah. It, it makes it a little bit more generic so that, you know, it doesn't, doesn't make escape the ultimate goal all the time. And it doesn't kind of, yeah. it doesn't contain the experience into a, you're locked into a space and you have to <laughs> unlock yourself to get out. Right. It's a single premise that they're trying to follow. And you can pour as much theatrical sauce over that as you want, but it's still the same premise over and over again. You get locked up and you want to get out. That's it. Sorry, Ruby was just miming, pouring theatrical sauce over everything. <laughs> right, right, right. Yes, I do that a lot as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and like, I don't know, like, I feel like, I feel like, there can be multiple genres of escape rooms. Like, for instance, it is a shame that Errol isn't here because he's our puzzle guy, and he, he doesn't care for narrative. He doesn't. He doesn't care much about narrative unless it's really good. If it's really good, he will care about a narrative. Like, for instance, we mentioned this before, but we play the um, the Sherlock board game. What is it called? Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, and he will pay right. attention. Amazing. To, yes. Yeah, he will pay attention to every single piece of narrative because it's important for him to solve the mystery. Whereas if we're in an escape room, it's my job to listen to the narrative and or his, read the journals or read the journals and his job to solve the puzzles. But I think like I think people are looking too much for a single definition of an escape room. Mm -hmm. I feel like if we get to the point with escape rooms that we get with video games, we can have the first person shooter or like we can have your traditional escape rooms, the puzzle focused ones, the physical activity focused ones the story focused ones the ones that somehow encompass them all and <laughs> somehow maybe or bits of everything so yeah i don't know i feel like people are trying to narrow it too much and uh, i think the problem with narrative is that nobody's making enough concessions for it at least not here in canada yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say north america but yeah it's the same here in Europe. It's just it's usually a, a second grade element that to add, like it's a sauce. 
Like it, 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 it makes the, the meal more delicious, but it doesn't make a meal of itself. And that, that's just sad, I think. <laughs> we can do so much more, I believe. So here's, here's my big question then. Is it possible at this point in time to tell moral stories in escape rooms, <laughs> to have people either learn something or be emotionally affected? I mean, I know it's, it's starting a little bit, but I know that there's been controversial things as well when somebody, for instance, tried to make a, the Anne Frank um, escape room. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, not here, no, in, in Europe, they tried to make one. And, and it was very controversial and pretty much got shut down immediately um, because of the outcry. Yeah, but you, do you know the reason why it was shut down? I have no idea. Please enlighten <laughs> us. <laughs> Um, well, the, I don't know the, the ins and outs of it, but um, the problem was not the fact that it was controversial. I mean, if something's controversial, it means it's touching on taboo, so that's a good thing. The problem was that they made a game out of being a Jew that was trying to flee from the Germans. So you were actually in the role of a Jew that was trying to hide, or, you know, a family member of Anne Frank, I'm not sure what it was, um, and you were trying to escape the Germans, but what they did was just make a regular uh, escape room of it. So you were actually trying to have fun while sort of tackling a very serious topic. Now, if I were the narrative designer, I would actually have made it so you would play the Germans. That would have been controversial as well, but if you were to play a German that was actually looking for a Jew by solving puzzles, and you would take your matter very, very seriously and not make jokes about it, that could very well lead to a very moral dilemma in the end of the game. Like, do you actually want to solve this puzzle? Because you'll probably find the people hiding here, which you will then, well, I guess we all know what. Yes. Yeah, so, but at the same time, you have, well, for instance, you have movies about World War II mm -hmm. and the Holocaust. You have books about it. Um, we're starting to get video games like This War of Mine uh, about the experience in which you have to play somebody in a war-torn country as to make difficult decisions to support their family. And I'm just wondering, like, yeah, how long it would take for escape rooms to do it to make it not a not so much a fun haha -ha experience but more like a a serious a serious affecting experience mm -hmm. that's still enjoyable on an on a on an emotional level i guess i yeah it's i uh, we errol and i had a big talk about what makes something enjoyable because <laughs> yeah well everyone finds things differently well, right I, I guess the word you might be looking for is engaging ah yeah that's it that's a better word because i don't believe something necessarily has to be fun in order to be engaging and we, I think we know plenty of movies and video games and art that has exactly that. That is not fun at all, but is engaging as hell. Uh, one of my examples in the video game industry, uh, Spec Ops The Line. Not sure if any of you have played it. I have it. played it. It's crazy. Right. And that That's not fun. Not a single moment in that game is fun. Well, it's funny. But the, 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 sorry, this is a side note, but the designers took this huge risk in that they didn't really market it as an unenjoyable game in which you'd start to question who you are and in fact it took it's i think it's a full two hours into the game before the crazy stuff starts happening and and then suddenly oh wow that game was brilliant but <laughs> it, was. it was yeah if there's one game you play before you die anyone listening go play spec ups the line it's it's amazing it's an amazing feat of 
how meaningful choice as well as consequential choice is presented and um, where the game talks to you as a player and not just as a character. Yeah. Yeah, it makes you question your role as a gamer. Yeah. Yeah. And the desires you have for playing. But so, yeah, in order, in in answer to your question, uh, can it be done now? Um, Yes, I think it can. Um, But I think we live in a time where we believe, and I mentioned this in my talk as well, is that we believe that players come into our rooms with a sort of a set standard set of expectations. Um, And I don't believe that to be true. I think we tell our players what to want in our experiences. And back to the term escape room. Like, if you tell me I'm going to play an escape room, like the thing I'm supposed to do is literally in the name. So I'm going (laughs) to, of course I'm going to have an expectation. I want to escape something. So if you then try to tell me a very deep and meaningful story, of course I'm not going to listen to it because my mind is set on this one thing which is escaping. Now, I'm not saying we should change the name all, uh, overnight, but I do believe we have to think about the things we incentivize our players to want. Um, and that, I believe, can change. All it needs is just, I don't know, a creator with some balls and, and some guts to actually try this. So, Jasper, I was wondering, in terms of the experience that you're describing, do you feel that it would require a lot more investment of of money and time in order to create these experiences? Um, money, no. Time, yes. Um, I always say stories are free, which is not necessarily true because it does take a lot of time, time which you have to pay for, etc. But in theory, story is created on paper. So it doesn't cost you anything, really. Um, but you do need some creative people who know how to handle a story. And I think those are currently very rare. A lot of people who call themselves storytellers are maybe very good in telling a story by the campfire, but do not understand the the actual um, rules that you have to sort of work through when you're writing a story. Uh, it's, it's just not that easy. Um, so no, I don't believe it, it's necessarily a big investment. Um, a, a small example that I use in my talk uh, to portray what meaningful choice could be and I'm going to I'm going to portray it here as well. Let's say well let's say us four are playing in a skate room. Yeah? And beforehand we decided like okay, we want to reach that wall of fame board. Like we want to be at least top 10 if not the first place. Right? <laughs> so we're we're all psyched and we're ready to escape and we're going to do this, right? So we're in the room, we're going to go you know, we're going to go through that like bulls in the china shop, we're just solving everything, but after like 20 or 30 minutes, we open a chest And in that chest, there is like this glass little thing. And in that glass little thing, there's a key. But with the key, there is a note. And the note says, 90% of players who have escaped did not use this key. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. So money-wise, that would only cost you a note. (laughs) Really. Because it's, it's that simple. And I think this example works because... What I believe a meaningful choice to be is two wants, uh, two things that people want from a room or an experience are being conflicted with each other. Um, and in this case, it's the, the we want to be the fastest one out of the room, but we also have, which is a sort of a secret want we all share, is curiosity. 
we want to know where that key goes. Um, and we're going to wonder all kinds of things like, is this going to slow us down? Or is this like a cheat? Or is this what, like, what is this? And those two things are going to conflict. And by the time we actually reach a point where we've made a decision for ourselves, we have to congregate with the group. And then we have to sort of, you know, assemble like, what are we going to do? Are we going to use this key or not? Or what do we find more important? Maybe I do find it more important to actually figure out where the key goes. But Manda says, no, 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 I just really want to be on that Hall of Fame board. Let's just continue. And so you already create sort of uh, internal conflict, but also social conflict, simply by presenting a key with, a, with a, a note that says, people did not use this key to escape. There was there was another example that you gave that I could see both Bo, Errol and I having an argument about. <laughs> I think I think it was there there are three doors and you can either pick one key that you know will get you an answer or you can get one that has two keys. Um, and and I could see Errol would be the one who would be like, let's open as many doors as possible. <laughs> let's get the... T I would be the one who'd be like, no, we know that this one is fine. Let's just use the one. And, you know, and uh, like, yeah, I like that the choice in the rooms affects the group as well as the actual game itself. Exactly. And there's, there's plenty of more dynamics to go along with that. And, and you mentioned like Errol a lot. And of course, I've been listening to your podcast a little and... What I'm really curious about, so it's so unfortunate he's not here to ask him, but like, w I don't believe that Errol just wants to puzzle. I believe there's more wants beneath that. Maybe he wants to have a sense of achievement, or he wants to be better than others, or, you know, he wants to... <laughs> I, I, I don't know, I don't know the guy, so you can probably tell me about this more, but I, I really want to ask the man, but what do you really want from a room? Errol's answer would be like, hmm... That's an interesting observation. <laughs> Why, thank Errol, you. <laughs> Errol, Errol definitely doesn't want to be the, the best one in the room. He actually wants to enjoy... He, he actually does like to enjoy an experience. Yeah. If a room puts the effort in, he will put the effort in, or he will he will let himself enjoy an experience. Mm -hmm. In fact, we don't we don't rush in escape rooms anymore simply because we like to linger and explore and yeah. and that sort of thing. Uh, he does love puzzles and he loves a good mind challenge. But if somebody is doing something, like f there was the one room that we did that's the only room so far that has given me a plot twist I was surprised by. <laughs> and like surprised by in a good way. And uh, <laughs> well, you know, when someone is like, it was this man, the maintenance guy all along. You're like, where did he come from? Who's that? <laughs> like, what? This this guy actually did a plot twist very well, and Errol got very into that. So I think he does like the experience, mm. but he has yet to be presented with many experiences that like actually catch him on a narrative level. Right, right. But even even apart from a narrative level, like why does he play? I think he just enjoys spending time. He likes the challenge. He, he enjoys spending time with his friends. Yeah. Like he enjoys that aspect of it, and. And honest, he does. He like he played all the adventure games. He likes immersing himself into a world. Mm -hmm. He really does. So, so yeah. that's a way more broader want than just being the puzzle guy, right? <laughs> yeah. No, but but seriously, like there, there's if I, I think every each and every one of you just want to spend time with their friends. And and that's that's a want that has many many roads that lead towards it. 
there's many ways to enjoy time with your friends without actually having to physically solve a puzzle. So I think even a guy <laughs> so I think even a guy like Errol might actually be be could be incentivized to want something more from a room uh, than simply what he expects to get right now. But I think we should ask him that personally without speculating too much on his character. Yeah, he's going to listen to this and be like, oh, <laughs> you got it I'm, so yeah. wrong. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'm just anchoring myself for a second podcast then. Yeah. <laughs> I think Errol also just likes to, to watch the dynamics happen. He really enjoys that aspect when he's in the games with us. That's why a lot of times he kind of sits back and does nothing and just kind of watch us fumble around and wonder what we're thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, well, maybe we could create a role-playing room that gives him that exact role, that he just has to analyze what everybody else is doing. Oh, he would love that. Right? <laughs> so, Jasper, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the question around on you. Oh, then. boy. Um, what, is it, yeah, what, is it that, what is it that you want out of escape rooms when you go? What drove you to continue to play them and then continue to design for them? Um, well, I guess... I guess the key word is meaning. I want things to mean something. Um, and I realize that's a very broad answer. Um, and while I just keep talking, I'm sort of thinking about how to explain this. Um, <laughs> that's okay. I asked a very big question, so it's okay. Yeah, you kind of make a trend of that, don't you? Big questions. Jeez. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, meaning. Um, I just... I want experiences to be more than just humans playing. Because I believe when humans play, play is, is essentially just simulating real-life events and training for them. At least that's how animals do it. Uh, animals fight because they're sort of training for the future. And I believe that anything that involves play can teach us something about ourselves or about the world or about our reality you can make it as broad as you want. Um, and I think our association with what play is currently is is very mediocre. I mean, how many people have you heard that says, well, it's a game, so we should have competition, right? I I want to shoot those people. Like, <laughs> no, it's play is anything but just competition. I mean, every competition is play usually, but not every play is competition. There's so much more we, we can do with that. Um, and what I believe that that the combination of play and theater, so basically telling stories, uh, can have a great effect because we can get emotionally um, touched by movies and even by games and by art. Like it's a, it's a picture, it's a painting, but we can get touched by it for some reason because it gets, we get meaning from it. But now we are living in a world where we have experiences that actually puts you um, in, the, in the main character role. You actually get to act. You get to choose or, well, not choose, but we'll get to that later. The actions you do shape the story and thus the story becomes meaningful for you and can teach you something about yourself. And I know that's a very abstract sort of philosophy, but I do believe that we can do that as a world. We can make experiences that mean more than just spend an hour puzzling and have fun with our friends. 
I want to know what is fun. What is fun with our friends? What? How do you relate to your friends? And do you still like your friends if if you get to make tough decisions? Like, maybe I can learn something in that same room about Manda, who who just wants to get that wall of fame board. I'm like, Manda, I I never thought you were like that. Why? And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we you can teach people something, and and I believe we do that way too little, too less. Does that does that please you, ma'am? That answer. <laughs> That satisfies me, yes. <laughs> terrific, terrific. Yeah, so do you feel like, I mean, okay, so the rooms I played in the Netherlands were, while while a few of them were comparable to ones here, I just felt like the, the best ones in the Netherlands are worlds above what the best ones are here, in, in that it, it was more like an experience for me as opposed to me going into a game and solving puzzles with some cool tech. Right. I just, like, for instance, my, my favorite rooms that I played, that I got to play in the Netherlands, were the vault and the catacombs. And and it was just amazing how how from beginning to end, the whole experience was kept in mind. Like, there was never any point at which I felt like, now I'm entering into a room, and I pay for it, and the GM will explain <laughs> the rules to me, and I'll learn about directional locks and then I will go into a room and start and it was like it was started right from the get-go and uh I just I feel like that I don't know if that's ever going to happen here but do you feel that that kind of thing is where um escape rooms are going in general or like is that the is that the next step basically is to make these um crazy narrative experiences that like that just completely immerse you in it I think it's one of many possible next steps. So yeah, it's. I think, I, I mean, I live by that step. So yes, I believe it's the most important one, but I might be a little biased. But yeah, there's there's plenty of people that enjoy techno, te- tech-savvy rooms. So of course, there's many more things we can do with technology that can just sort of, you know, surprise and, and amaze people. But narrative, I believe, is one as well. Yes. Uh, and, the, and the full experience of it, the, the pre-experience, the post-experience, it starts when you get your first email. And, and when you arrive, like you said, you're not just greeted by a GM that says, hello, but you're actually already in the experience when you arrive. And it only ends after uh, you did your last thing to complete the story. Um, and I don't think there's necessarily any room there for, great job, guys, you get 15 minutes left, yay! I, I, that's, <laughs> that's, that's like a, a completely different story you're telling. If, if that's how your experience ends, fine, but just make it one big competition then. And don't add that if you're trying to tell a great story. Uh, so I think the, uh, well, you say the Netherlands does it a lot more than Canada. I wouldn't know because I haven't been there, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I believe we are experimenting with that, in the Netherlands at least, uh, to see how far we can go with it and um, how we can sort of direct our players into wanting a story instead of just wanting to escape. But it's a really difficult thing because it's, as a business owner, it's very scary to just sort of drop the existing premise on which your company is built and start creating a completely new premise. And, and the need to market that. So it's, it's really, I think it's really difficult to just do that. But I think what we're doing is using the current format to experiment with small baby steps 
to see if we can get it done. But I also believe that that we can never get it done if we keep doing that, because we keep sticking to an existing premise of escaping, which sort of kills any momentum for a great story. Yeah, I think it, it is difficult with the business aspect of it. Uh, you know, we want to innovate, but we also want to keep our businesses afloat, and whatever keeps people happy is generally what is the best thing to go with mike's our business guy yeah. mike can speak to this <laughs> yeah i mean any kind of company uh, they're okay so for example in canada there's one particular company that we know of that uh for for example for one particular piece of tech they spent almost half a million dollars just yeah. on that but <laughs> i think crazy. it's important for a business to keep innovating and just like jasper's saying that perhaps they should be spending that R&D into putting it into narrative in that sense. But it's just, yeah, in, in terms of Canadian business side of things, you can get money back from the government for spending money on R&D and that, write reports, and then you might get a grant back. But I don't think they're the same kind of grants would apply to like narrative in that sense. Oh, yeah. The Canadian grant system is not kind to escape rooms. <laughs> I speak from experience. You, if, if Only if your escape room is about Canada and teaches about Canada in some way, that is when you might get a grant, which isn't a bad thing. I think it'd be very yeah. interesting to create an experience around Canadian history or something. And you get like the learning aspect, the educational yeah. out of it. So. And we do have that mm -hmm. uh, a little bit. We had Sir John A. Macdonald, yes. and we have Casa Loma, who yes. which, which is like, based on actual history but mm. but yeah like if you want to get if you want to get funding for such a thing it's it's, it's got to be very specific yeah. yeah you can't just be fun <laughs> i would just like to counter that with the argument you have grants right oh. <laughs> we don't have that <laughs> we have to oh, do it all, all by ourselves <laughs> Like we don't even have grants. We don't have these fancy grants. Yeah. Where, where do these grants come from? <laughs> no, it, it's I'm, like the I'm lying. The only way our theaters operate, actually. So. Right. Yeah. Well, we do have some sort of subsidy, but the cultural climate in the Netherlands is is just barren. So, it's oh. it's re really <laughs> tough. Yeah, it is. It is. So yeah, we do have to do it all by ourselves, but. But still, yeah, I mean, if you want to invest a half a million dollars in a piece of tech and because of it, people will come, do it. Go for it. It's one way to innovate. Uh, I, I've heard about an escape room here in the Netherlands that, well, did sort of the same thing. They spent like 40,000 euros to build an actual rocket. Like not the, the inside part of it, but just the outside part. So they literally built a rocket that was like 30, 50 meters long. Uh, and just in a hangar, an old hangar, and it, it, I still have to play it, but the photos look amazing. So, yes. 40,000 years is like a billion in Canadian. <laughs> so they're never going to flip that room. <laughs> right. But yeah, I would play it simply to see the rocket. And maybe that's not as, as elitarian as we hope it can be, but, you know, it works. So, yes, please innovate in that area as well. But luckily, we are from the narrative team, or at least Man and I are, and we have to fight for our own rights. So uh, yes, narrative is definitely the most important. I just want to go on record saying narrative is the most important innovation that we can have. Yeah, if narrative is the focus. I actually, I was really excited when I was looking at your website. I didn't get look at it like this. This part I wasn't looking at too closely, but I saw you had workshops and that excited me because 
that's a, a safe space. Workshops are a safe space in which to innovate with, without making the um, the financial risk. And I, I, I wish we had more of that here. Yeah, well, it, it works. I mean, I, I give workshops for actors mostly to to actually train them on the on the three different focuses that I mentioned before. Um, but yeah, I also do consultancies, which is, I guess, sort of a workshop. I just go by a room, play it, and then just give them feedback about the narrative and how usually minor changes can actually change the entire room experience for a great deal. And how else? So, okay, so we, we know that innovation is important. So um, in, I know that you're current, working on current projects and everything. What are some of the things you do to try and like keep, try trying to innovate more like what what kind of things are you trying out i'm obviously not going to ask you for like super secret things but right, right. Um, but like what what are some of the steps you take whenever you're designing a room to say like how can i make this different well since i've been begun my research about meaningful choice and the whole thing uh, about you know, player wants and and what players expect to come in, what what players expect when they walk into one of our experiences, and how we can flip those uh, on their on their heads. I've been really thinking about okay, how do we present our experiences? So literally, what do we name them? But also, what do we uh, market to the outside? So if there's a trailer that just says "Escape 60 Minutes," blah, 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 explosions, then I'm <laughs> and I've had these, these, these cases where they actually said, well, we have a great narrative room. And I watched that trailer and I'm like, well, yeah, you do have a great narrative, but people are not here to experience the narrative. And it's because of the... <laughs> uh, and, and he was looking at me like... Make that like an actual like definition now? <laughs> Just... Yeah, exactly. And he was, he was looking at me. He was like, yeah, but we're in an escape room, right? And I was like, well, do you want to be? And he just looked at me and he was like, well, no, I would rather tell my story better. It's like, well, then change your trailer. Make it a story trailer. Make it look more like a movie, maybe, or a cinematic experience. And, and he did, actually. So he made a different trailer. It still wasn't that great, but at least he tried. And, you know, I like that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he still had, like, the 60 minutes and uh, get out in time, etc. But at least the blah, 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 blah was a little toned down and... He actually showed us a little about the story we were going to experience. So, you know, baby steps. There was one guy that had a room here in Toronto that's now closed, so I don't feel ashamed about talking, talking about, about it now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he when he invited us to play, he was very adamant that it was like, this is the narrative experience of of all t like he had the opposite problem he was like he was like <laughs> touting this as this is the narrative experience that's going to change the escape room world and it very much wasn't it was it, <laughs> like the problem is is that when people tell me that i tend to go in with the white gloves and start mm -hmm. finding all of the dust and 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 find it i did and um and it was fine it was a fine room but it was like i don't think it's the game changer that you think it's going to be <laughs> Yeah, well, I had I had similar cases where they were like, we have a great narrative experience. And I was like, well, if I were to judge your room based on puzzles, it would get an eight. But judging it by what you represent it to be, it gets a minus five. Like, it's, it, <laughs> the story is not great at all. But it is a great room, but you're not innovating in any way. Um, 
and it's it's funny. I think I think a, a, a narrative sort of trap that a lot of creators fall into, uh, even as of today, is um, the fact that we tell narratives about what happened. Um, so it's a lot about what find out what happened here fifty years ago. Um, and it's it's like well I I don't care like what am I a researcher am I a journalist trying to discover I I want to do something now I don't care what happened fifty years ago in your little fictional universe I want to feel important and I want to feel meaningful now so I'd rather you know disarm a bomb a hundred times than have to sit through one of those one hundred years ago rooms ever again. <laughs> And, and therefore, I always ask, like, if people claim to have a great narrative, I always ask the three, the three critical questions. And the first one is, uh, what am I here to do? The second one is, who am I? And the third one is, why is it important to me? And by me, I mean me, the player. So you can call me a journalist and tell me that it's important for my work. Nah, 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 I ain't buying that. One, I ain't no journalist. And two... I have no relation to your fictional world yet. So why do I care as a player? And if you can answer those three questions, you're usually halfway into telling a great narrative. But I think you'll find that many, many rooms cannot even answer the first two, let alone the third. I guess some of the difficulty is that, you know, like you have movies which are a timed experience and they have characters and they they follow a track that the writer wants. You have video games which are not a timed experience and they have players who are taking on a character role, but you can still write a backstory for that character and have them discover it and care about it. And then there's the escape room, which is a timed experience which and in which your main characters have complete agency over how they interact with your room you can control it to a degree if you have a good flow but it's i don't i i found that hard is like is sort of letting um these blank slates come in almost that i know nothing about and giving them a sense of character somehow Mm, i think it's an interesting thought i'm just not sure if i agree with it um because you are a character already like i don't think you should forget about the sort of the meta level that players come in with that are basically, I am a human that bought a ticket that want to play. That's the character I am right now. And it's it's really difficult for, for people to sort of um, adjust to a role that they're being given. And then they are asked to care about something that happened to them in that role. It's, it's a really hard stretch into suspension of disbelief. Um, I think um, a friend of mine put it down really, really great when he wrote sort of a scripture on this as well. He said, and that was in context of prison escape, uh, he said, if you uh, ask your players within the prison to sort of learn a new handshake or to learn a song about a gang or to feel affiliated with a gang, they have no problem with this. But ask any player why they're in prison and nine out of ten just go blank. Because it's, it's something that you're asking them about a character they need to invent. So what you can rather do is ask your players to contextualize themselves to the world you're presenting as themselves instead of asking them to actually pick up on a role that's predefined for them. 
I ain't no bomb defusal guy. I have no idea how to defuse a bomb. So if you speak to me like, you're the elitist, we chose you because the world needs to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, I, I, can't even, <laughs> I can't even fix my own lamps. Like how the hell am I supposed to defuse a goddamn bomb? Um, but if you, if you, for instance, would put me in that situation like, yeah, well, we know you're just an artist, but you're sort of the only one in the room. So we're going to guide you through it, but you're going to have to disarm that bomb real quick for us. That would allow me as Jasper to actually contextualize the situation I've been given. So I can completely acknowledge the fact that I have no clue about bomb defusal whatsoever, but that I have to sort of uh, take a speed course within 60 minutes to actually start defusing that bomb. Um, so that's sort of the difference that I'm targeting at. Don't forget that your players are simply humans that paid a ticket to play your experience and and start your narrative from there yeah i think i think we're sort of on the same page i just explained myself very poorly no i was it was in, it was interesting playing the prison game uh because i i didn't create a backstory for myself i didn't bother and i'm the type of person who might do that um i know Poor David Spira. He he um he did create a backstory for himself, and he was so excited to meet whoever his cellmate was, <laughs> and to like impart this backstory on them, and like pretend he was somebody else, and then he realized his cellmate was me, <laughs> and then, right. and then yeah. it all went yep, out the yep. window. That's that's pretty sour. Yeah, yeah. Backstory is another one of those traps. It falls into the same category. Backstory. You don't need it. You really don't. Your narrative um, should consist of only the 60 or 70 minutes that the players experience. Uh, And they they used to ask this question back in classical theater as well. Like, Romeo and Juliet, why do we see these two and a half hours? Why not two and a half hours three months earlier or ten years later? Why do we see these specific two and a half hours? And the answer is usually because this is the critical moment where their lives changed in some form or way. Um, and we can get a lot of backstory about who Romeo is and his families and his blah, blah, blah. It's, it's not interesting because the thing that's important to us is the fact that two uh, starstruck lovers from different families fall in love with each other and have to decide on whether or not they're going to follow up on that love or not. That's why we see those two and a half hours. And I don't want to see Romeo and Juliet, uh, well, they died, so it's impossible. But let's say they lived, and I don't want to see like their marital issues 10 years later, because it's, it's not interesting. I want, don't want to see how Romeo and Juliet grew up as teenagers, because it's not interesting. And backstory, therefore, is usually not interesting, because I don't care what happened here 50 years ago. I want to care, I want to care about what's happening right now, and that's a goddamn bomb in the room, which I, with no knowledge of it, need to defuse, or else the Netherlands will blow up. That's what's important. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that I hear most often from owners who attempted narrative, who put all sorts of work into the backstory, is or like into their backstory, into their world. They made a very complete world, but they said, but nobody's paying attention to it. And one of my arguments is that that doesn't mean they don't appreciate it because it makes for a more cohesive experience for them. But yeah, that's that's one of the things is like it's it is so hard, especially for me as a writer to like see people just completely ignore something. But I know I know that it helped, but I know that it's not necessary for them to pay attention to it in this moment. 
Right, exactly. And and if you decide that narrative is your sort of secondary layer to reinforce the puzzling, that's fine. By all means, go for it. But if you claim to want to have a narrative-driven experience, then you should go all in on that. And you should start with a narrative that asks the questions, who am I, what am I here to do, and why is it important to me as a player? And then you start thinking about puzzles after that. But you need to have uh, a confined narrative that could consist of two pages maximum uh, with no backstory that should be engaging to your players. And what I see a lot now is that people really want to have a narrative-driven room, but are still putting way too much spotlight on the actual puzzles. Because that's what people know, so we should give it to them, because it's what they expect. No, they don't. They don't expect anything. They expect what you tell them to expect. So change that up, make a narrative-driven room that consists of two pages of story, and you should be good to go. So in order, in answer to the question before, does it cost a lot of money and time? Not really. It just takes a lot of balls. <laughs> Very awesome. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, if I get enthusiastic, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's good. It's good. Uh, so what, what, kind of, what kind of experiences would you like to see more of? Well, there's one in the Netherlands uh, called Hell Shooter. And it's basically Call of Duty in real life. So they use airsoft guns, which is uh, very rare in the Netherlands because it's, it's really restricted, etc. Um, so you actually get to experience airsofting, but you just, you get like this balaclava and you get like this armor suit and you really are like, you're being built up to be this, this SWAT team, this Delta team that's going to swipe into a, a building. And then you actually start and there's like 10, 20 actors that actually play terrorists that take you under fire as well. And there's like this small but very effective ambience music to guide you through it and there is an actor in your team that guides you through it and you really feel like you're this super badass Delta Force hero even though you're walking with your flashlight on half the time so they know you're coming all from a mile ahead but you feel like you're actually immer you feel like you're a Delta Squad um, and that's an amazing experience and I would like to see more of that just people trying to 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 make it meaningful, to really make you feel something. There is no puzzle in that experience. It's just shooting baddies and making your way up the stairs without getting shot. My personal one is I, I, I would love to see something that left me emotionally affected at the end, but I, ha I haven't yet. I know that some others have. Uh, I just haven't been to those escape rooms. But <laughs> Right, yeah. That, I mean, that's the dream, right? Um, because usually when you're emotionally affected, it means something changing you. Or it made you think about something. Uh, or it made you, you know, realign your beliefs. Which I also talked about in my talk. That basically everything we do is, is centered around beliefs. What we believe to be the best action to take. And if you have taken an action which you believe to be the best. Which turned out wasn't so great. Yes, you can be emotionally distressed or, or relieved or whatever. Because something changed inside you. That sounded really dirty, but you know what I mean. It's just, <laughs> it, you change as a human being. You learn something about yourself. You learn something about the world. And thus, you it was a meaningful experience for you. I feel like we're just scratching the surface here now, but uh, we are running up against time. So um, 
we're we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. But thank you so much, Jasper, for for joining us today. You're very welcome. And if people need to find you to hire you as an awesome consultant, where can they go? Um, well, they can go to my website, jaspervilla.nl. Uh, .nl, is that? Sorry. Um, but they NL, can also yeah. just send me an email at info at jasperville.nl. So you might want to write that down somewhere on the site where this is presented. <laughs> Not yes. sure if they record that. But uh, yeah, it's Dutch. So, um, But yeah, I'm, I'm very willing to, to talk to people about this and share my ideas with them and just, you know, try to, try to help make this market grow and, and make sure it's not just a, a, a nice little hype that's going to fly over in, in two to five years, uh, but really make this something that sticks and, and, and can create meaning for people. So, yeah. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And Take us out, man page. Okay, I'm going to do an outro. Here we go. Room Escape Divas is brought to you by Inverse Genius. You can go to inversegenius.com to find other fun podcasts just like this one. You can also email us at roomescapedivas at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook. Click the like button and on the Room Escape Divas page. And if you're on Twitter, you can use the hashtag REDivas. We sometimes check it. Mike sometimes checks it. Errol sometimes <laughs> checks it. I don't. But, you know, whatever. The Facebook one, I check it. The sometimes. Facebook one, I check. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Twitter's, Twitter's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, if you want to look for, for Jasper Villa, it is jaspervilla.nl. Awesome. And okay, that's it. Yay. Thanks, Woo. guys. Bye-bye.